Well, in 2001, Megan and I became proud dog owners. Uh, in May uh, of that year, uh, Coulter was born in about 2011. Yeah, not 2001. <laughs> yeah, he is really, really old. <laughs> Let me start over. In 2011, yeah. In 2011, uh, Megan and I became proud dog owners. Um, eight weeks or so after he was born, uh, he came to our home. Now, we had both grown up with dogs, but this was the first time that we were actually like dog parents, and that's a whole different thing. You know, I remember uh, we both looked at each other and we're like, how do we do this? And so we went and we bought some books and we started to bone up as best as we could on what it means to train and to care for a puppy. Well, across the board, the advice is pretty much the same. As soon as the dog enters into your house, you need to assert yourself. You need to show him who's boss. Right? You've got to become the alpha. Right? And as the alpha, you need to assert control. And once the dog recognizes that you're the alpha, well, then you can give him commands. Sit. Down. Stay. Heal. You can also make them do tricks. High five. Shake. Roll over. Bang, right? Play dead. What happens, however, when you fail to gain control? You know, what happens when the dog does not recognize you uh, as the alpha? Well, in that case, there really are three outcomes. You can cave in, and the dog then begins to sleep in your bed, and jump on the couch when you're having Bible study with your friends, and... uh, yeah, you can cave in. You can, um, you can give it up for adoption, right? Like you can send him away. Or you can have him killed. Those really are your three options if the dog does not recognize you uh, as the alpha. This is not just uh, the ways that we in some ways relate to our dogs. It is interesting that this is often how we relate to God as well. Um, We see him sometimes as man's best friend. He's excited to see us when we walk through the door. He comes when I call him. He can do cool tricks like turn water into wine. Um, We can teach him and we can train him how to live in our house. But Jesus is not a D-O-G, right? Jesus is G-O-D, right? He is God. You are not the alpha in this relationship. He is. In fact, he's not just the alpha. He is the alpha and the omega, right? He is the beginning and the end. He is the great I am. So if you're trying to out-alpha the alpha and omega... Inevitably, there's going to be a battle of the wills. You're going to try to control and manipulate him, and his, he is going to refuse to be controlled uh, and manipulated by you. You see, he doesn't fit in your house. You are meant to fit into his. In some ways, you've drawn a life in the sand, and you've drawn a life around certain parts of your life And Jesus crosses that line continually. And in that regard, he's offensive. 
Jesus is offensive. And verse 51 of tonight's passage is case in point. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The disciples are crossed. They say, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? Pardon the pun, who can stomach it? Who can stomach this? It offends at three points. Jesus here offends our pride. He offends our secularism. This notion that the only things that are real and true are things that we can see and touch. And it offends our sense of uh, tolerance. It offends our fear of giving offense. Okay? First, Jesus offends our pride. Okay, at the heart of Jesus' message, not just here, but really across the New Testament, is that he has left the comfort and security of heaven, and he has touched down here on earth on a search and rescue mission. Right? Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus has come to seek and save sinners, to give his life uh, as a ransom for many. He's come to satisfy our deepest longings and desires, and he has come to wash away all of our sins, to make us clean and whole again. Right? Implicit in all of these statements is the fact that you are not okay. Right? That you need rescuing. That you are damaged in some way. That you are in danger. Worse than that, without Jesus, you are doomed. That you are wholly incapable of saving yourself. And you are wholly incapable of recovering or restoring what you've lost. Right? In some, you need help. This is offensive. It offends your pride and your sense of self-sufficiency, self-reliance. Right? It offends yourself. Some of you have heard me tell the story. I think I need to like pretty much tell it once a semester. Right? But it's a story that goes back to Coulter. Um, we love this dog. Uh, we love him a lot. We do allow him to jump on our bed like at a certain hour in the morning. And if you've been to our house, you've seen him. You've probably felt him like jumping on the couch. And we actually don't mind it all that much because we like being near him. Maybe you've even heard our nickname for him. We call him Prince sometimes uh, because he's not the alpha, but he's kind of close, right? Prince Yaya. He has tons of nicknames. Anyways, we like to be near Coulter. But what happens when our dog leaves our house? What happens when he leaves our house and he, he rolls in some mud or he finds some dead squirrel and he rolls in it? And he begins to stink. And he's muddy. Well, I'll tell you what happens. We don't love him any less. Like, we love him just the same. But he's not allowed back on the couch. And he's not allowed back on the bed. He has lost access to us in some way. And the only way that he is going to get that back, the only way that Coulter is going to be allowed back in our house and back on the couch and back in the bed is if he is cleansed. If he is washed. And here's the thing, that's one thing 
he cannot do on his own. Try as he may, Coulter cannot clean himself. The only way that Coulter's able to get back in, the only way he can recover what was lost is if we do that for him. That's his only hope. Right? He has to allow us to do that for him. And look, friends, in very much the same way, you have left God's house. You have, you have gone off and you have rolled in the metaphorical mud and you have rolled in the metaphorical squirrel. And God loves you just the same. But if you want to get back what was lost, if you want back in, you have to let him cleanse you. You have to let him wash you. You cannot do this on your own. Jesus says, I am not your D-O-G. I am not your dog. I am God. I am Lord. I am your master. I am the only one who can wash you and make you clean. Jesus offends your pride. But he doesn't just offend your pride. He offends your secularism. Okay, our secularism. Secularism, as I mentioned, is the belief that the only things that are real and true are things that we can see and touch and feel and study scientifically. It is the notion that we live in a purely materialistic universe. There is no spiritual dimension. The only thing uh, that exists is matter, right? the material universe. Well, Jesus crosses the line once again because he says, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. Right? I'm not uh, a Bethlehem native. Right? I am heaven sent. That's where I've come from. I've come from this place called heaven. It's real. And I've come from it. You all know the show Stranger Things? Raise your hand. Come on. Who's, who's, who's on the... Yeah, we're all on board, right? Most of us. It's pretty awesome. In this show, I'm, I'm going to try not to give too much away. Okay? But in this show, there's the world of Will and Mike, right? And his friends. But there's also this, this thing called the upside-down upside world. Right? There's this uh, upside-down world. There is uh, more than meets the eye. Um, in fact, there's this great evil uh, that human beings uh, have unleashed, right, uh, in our planet. Okay, we have, through our own arrogance or through our, uh, our own um, desire for control, like we have unleashed a great evil, right, on planet Earth. Well, just because we can't really see the upside-down world, just because it's largely hidden from our eyes, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. In fact, Will can see it just fine, right? He can stand out in the field and see a dark shadow that is right there and is actually influencing him even if the people around him can't see it. It's there. It's real, right? And it's impacting the world. You see, Stranger Things is actually closer to reality than um, a purely secular, like, approach to things would be. That says that things are, it's just matter. 
according, like Stranger Things is actually closer to a, a biblical understanding of the way things really are. That there really is a material and a spiritual universe, right? That Stranger Things is actually not that strange after all. There are forces of good and forces of evil. There are forces of light and forces of darkness. There is more than meets the eye going on right now. Jesus says, I've come from that place. Maybe not the upside down world, but the right side up one. Right? I've come from that place for you to make everything wrong right. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And though you can't see it or study it with scientific instruments, it's there. And this doesn't mean that Jesus is anti-science. Not at all. Jesus simply says that our science can only go so far. Right? There is a limit uh, to our knowledge. There are things that are real and true that science just can't explain. It's, it's not meant to. Like science does a great job of explaining everything that has happened from the Big Bang. But science cannot say this is who made it or why. To learn those things, the creator would have to speak. The one behind the Big Bang would actually have to speak. And we would have to listen. And here is what the creator, savior of the world has to say. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is verses that come just before the passage we looked at tonight. Okay? I've seen toggling there. Yeah, it's just before it. Okay, not only has Jesus come to, from heaven to earth, he claims to be none other than the Son of God himself. He claims to be none other than the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is saying, look, I created all life. I am the one behind the Big Bang. I am the author of life. And I'm the one who has come to give you eternal life. I am your maker and I am your savior. So don't uh, tell me to sit down. Don't try to put a collar on me. Don't try to lead me on a leash because I'm the creator here and you are the creature. You come and you follow me. Right? That's how this is going to work. So Jesus offends our secularism. Right? He says, like, I'm heaven sent. There is a, you do live in a spiritual material universe and he offends your pride. That is not all. Right? Jesus offends your safe spaces. He offends your fear of causing offense. In a September 2015 uh, issue of the Atlantic Monthly, there was a cover story uh, entitled The Coddling of the American Mind. The timing of this was intentional, I think. Right? Just as you all were moving into your dorms or getting, looking forward to college, you know, where you could move into your dorms and start taking classes. In the month of September, they released this article, The Coddling of the American Mind. And it begins this way. Something strange is happening at America's colleges and universities. A movement is arising, undirected and driven largely by students, to scrub campuses clean of words, ideas, and subjects that might cause discomfort or cause offense. 
And the ultimate aim of safe spaces and trigger warnings and microaggressions uh, and policing speech is to turn campuses into safe spaces where young adults are shielded from words and ideas that make some uncomfortable and to punish those who cross the line even accidentally. I mean, that's a pretty hard-hitting paragraph. You know, in a lot of respects, tolerance has become the chief American virtue, hasn't it not? True tolerance presupposes that there are going to be differences of opinion and disagreements. It presupposes that. True tolerance is a commitment to respect. It's a commitment to uh, that even though we might disagree and even though there might be differences of opinions, I'm committed to treating you with dignity and with respect that we ought to be able to have a humane conversation. But tolerance, as it is understood here, it is in some ways a commitment uh, to an ideology. Tolerance is misunderstood to mean that it's It's not a commitment to respectful dialogue. It's a commitment that we are all going to just believe the same things. Right? We're all just going to agree that everybody is right and nobody and everybody is wrong. Like, no one has the right to say this is right or this is wrong. We can all just agree to disagree. You do you, I'll do me. That is, in some ways, the way that tolerance uh, is approached. And in, a, in that kind of space, in that kind of environment, you might have certain ideas, you might have certain opinions, but you're afraid to state them for fear of saying something that is critical or controversial or offensive, which is why you often end your sentences after saying something that you think, you're like, well, I believe this or that, but I don't know. Or I believe this and that, but that's just my opinion, you know. Who am I to judge? And this masquerades as humility. But what it really is is fear. You're not really being humble. You're afraid. You are afraid of causing offense. You're afraid of being seen as narrow-minded or insensitive or intolerant. And Jesus will have none of it. Jesus will have none of this because, first of all, there is a right way and a wrong way to do things because the world was made. You know, my iPhone did not spring into existence out of thin air. Okay, it was designed. And because this was designed, there is a right way and a wrong way to use it, right? You can use an iPhone to hammer in nails, but that's not what it was made for. You use it that way, and you will break it. You will. And similarly, you and I did not spring into existence out of thin air. The world was designed. You were designed. You are the the product of a mind. And Jesus says, yeah, it's mine. Right? You were my idea. And because... It was designed, and because you were designed, you were made to work a certain way. We were made uh, to work a certain way. There really is a right way and a wrong way to live. 
There really is a path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. We really have been walking down the wrong path. And Jesus has come to say, turn around, come this way. This is the way you want to go. There really is a heaven. And Jesus says, I'm the only way in. Jesus does not say here, I am a loaf of bread from heaven. He says, I am the loaf. I am the bread, right, from heaven. He does not say, I am a way. I am a truth, like I am a life. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. See, Jesus is not afraid to tell it how it is. He's not afraid to tell it how it is because he made it a certain way. And the second reason why he's not afraid to tell it how it is is because he loves you. You see, if there was a train barreling down on your friend and you didn't say, watch out, you don't really love your friend. If you know something that's really important and you keep it a secret, you don't tell it how it is, look out, there's a train coming, you don't love your friend. And in the same way, if you're surrounded by people who are starving, but you're like, I know where there's food to be found, if you keep that a secret, you don't love your friend. Like if you know where there's good food to eat when everyone else around you is starving, you need to share that. And Jesus shares this news. I'm the bread that you need. Come, eat, fill up. I'm here. This is a very exclusive truth claim. There's no getting around this. Jesus is the bread from heaven. He is the one that you need. But listen, look. He says, I am bread come down from heaven to save and satisfy the world. So here you have this incredibly exclusive claim. I am the bread, but it's incredibly inclusive at the same time. This bread is for all, right? Everyone is invited to the feast. It's the most exclusive, inclusive claim imaginable. Jesus is the one and only bread from heaven. He is the one and only door into heaven. But that bread and that door is given and it is open to all. Not to one particular kind of people, not to people who of a certain gender or a certain race or ethnicity, right? Or language. It's given to all. It's given to all. So Jesus is offensive. Right? He offends your pride and he offends your secularism and he offends your fear of causing offense. But he doesn't mind that all so much because he made the world and he came to save it. This is who he is. And this is what he said. And look, I can't stand before you and water it down. If I did, I would not be presenting to you the real Jesus. And I want you to encounter the real Jesus. I am the living bread. Jesus says, that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Does this offend you? 
Jesus doesn't just ask that. He asks, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Peter answers this question, right? You do not want to leave too, do you? He answers this question, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? Right, the other options aren't that great. If we leave you, where does that leave us? Option one, there's no God. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no justice. Right? You can do whatever the hell you want because it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Tomorrow, you die. So eat, drink, be merry. Right? It doesn't matter. That's option one. Option number two, well, there is a God, but he doesn't make exclusive truth claims. There's a God, but he does say to you, you do you, right? It doesn't matter. You want to rape, you want to cheat, you want to steal, fine, you do you. You want to work and you want to serve in the slums, great, you do you. Hitler, Mother Teresa, it doesn't matter, everybody gets in. And as you think about that, you're like, uh, that's actually unattractive. That means there's no justice, really. And that's not really a God that you want or want to worship. Another option. There's a God and there's heaven, but you need to be perfect to get in. Like, you need to follow all of the rules. And if that's the condition, it's great. There's a heaven and a hell, but you're not in heaven. Like, you're locked out. Peter says, where shall we go? To whom... Shall we turn? But look, that's not all that he says. He says also that we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's not just following, and the disciples are not just following because the, the, the other options aren't great, right? Because we're stuck. That's not, that's not all that he says. He says the reason that we're following is, one, the other options aren't great, but here's the other most important part. We have believed you. We've put our faith in you. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God in that order. He does not say, hey, you've given us all of the answers to all of our questions, and now we trust you. He says, we've put our faith and trust in you, And as we take one little step after another, you prove yourself again and again and again to be reliable and worth following. We believed it. We put our faith, we put our trust in you. And we have come to know that you are legit. That you are the man. You are the Holy One of God. See, you don't need all the answers on the front end. You need to begin to see, is Jesus worth taking a step in this direction? Is he worth following just a little bit? And as you take one step after another, let Jesus prove to you who he is. That he is worth following. Right? Not just because the other options are unattractive, but because 
He is who he says he is. The invitation to you tonight and every night is for you to encounter the real Jesus and to follow him. Not the Jesus of your imagination. Not the Jesus uh, like a dog that you could lead on, on a leash. Right? Not Jesus the house cat. But Jesus. Right? The Lion of Judah. Not a loaf from heaven, but the bread from heaven. Right? The Holy One of God. He has come from heaven to save you. But look, bread on a table will not satisfy you. Bread on a table will not feed you full. Bread on a table will not save. But bread in your belly will. It's of note, Jesus can come down from heaven, and that's great. But if all he does is remain on the table, he is of no use to you. Bread on a table will not save, but bread in your belly will. And all that is to say is what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with him? Some, as we've seen, walk away in disgust. This is a hard teaching. Who can stomach it? But some will take and taste and see that God is good. Some will walk away in disgust. Others will ingest and they will live and live forever. Y'all, does this offend you? You aren't going to leave me too, are you? Let's pray.